What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, Larry, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm excited to have you back on. A lot has changed since we've had you on the podcast. Uh, what was that, 2000 and maybe 18? So wow, got a lot to catch up about. Time flies, my friend. Isn't that crazy? It's 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 nuts. But uh, I can't believe it's been that many years. I feel like I, I know, just... I know, man. I feel like I've known you for a half decade now, bro. Yeah, well, we go back a long time. Um, I think we met up in the fall of 2015, actually. So it's been seven years now. Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, listen, you've come a long way since I met you. So have you, my friend. So have you. You used to be a home vest. You're a home vester refugee. You know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> one, one of many. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So I want to cover two things on this show that you have done in your business uh, as of really, I would say, recent, but it was about three years ago. Sure. You guys moved to a big uh, wholesale operation and you guys have also been buying a lot of rentals. So I want to cover both of those things on today's show as like the main, I guess we call the meat and potatoes of the show. Before yep. we get into that, how did you kind of get involved in the real estate business before, um, what were you doing before real estate basically? So, I mean, just quick, quick background. My background is in accounting, BS in accounting, started out working um, at Ernst & Young. I have my CPA, did that for about three years. All my friends were making a lot more money than me working on Wall Street around 2000. And I said, you know what, what am I doing? Let me go. Yeah. So I worked on Wall Street for about five years after that and did really, really well. Uh, made a lot of money, but I hated it. I hated every minute of it and uh, said, there's got to be a better way. So I quit, which again, I maybe would have did this a little differently, but I quit and I got a job as a real estate agent because I thought that Ooh. was the best way to get into real estate investing, right? Isn't it? And uh, somehow I digressed a little bit and I was an agent for a period of time, but that actually I realized I, I don't want to be an agent. I want to run a real estate brokerage company. So uh, formed a real estate brokerage company. Fast forward seven, eight years, we were one of the largest in Manhattan. Um, we had multiple offices. Actually, we had a partner dispute towards the end of it. We did a lot of mergers to get to where we were. And this last one was a big merger. And um, what happened was that ended in a fireball. And uh, the only good thing about the partnership is that I did meet Frank, who was my existing partner. He is not the person we got into uh, a fight with. It was another partner. And um, anyway, long story short, I ended up making a good amount of money. But then once this thing erupted in a fireball, I really want the same real estate. I had no idea what I was what I was going to do and how I'd support my family. So that was a little bit of a difficult time. Um, I had lent some money to a friend of mine uh, who was a home flipper. And I saw how much I made and I saw how much he made on the HUD. And I was like, wow, like, that's pretty good. I, I, that is... How yeah. do I do that? And I we did another, Frank and I did it together, another uh, money lending deal, same situation. And um, I wanted to figure this out. I said, this could be interesting. So that then we joined Homevestors 
as we <laughs> talked about earlier. Yeah. And um, which was great. You know, I, I learned quite a lot there. And then at some point we realized we can probably do this on our own and yeah. branched out on our own. And, you know, we've grown a pretty large um, real estate investment company, which is SDF Capital, which we used to do pretty much like you alluded to, almost all fix and flip. And um, anyone that does fix and flip probably knows it's very hard to really sit. You can systematize it, but it's really hard to run that like a business because there's constantly things that break down problems you know there's you have the best process but at least for us we, we found it hard to scale that very very hard to scale it and um you know material prices going up and contractors and anyway long, long story short uh we decided to change up the model slowly and to just cherry pick the flips in the areas that we know with contractors that we know could do it and started doing that and then little by little we transitioned almost fully, not fully at this point, but almost fully into wholesaling. And um, as I, you know, Greg, and anyone that is in this business, it's a lot easier to scale that business. There's a lot less capital at risk. Um, it's a lot easier to go quickly. So that's kind of the, I mean, short slash long story of it. But um, that was what I was doing before. And that kind of what where we are and what we're doing now. Um, I didn't get into the rentals. I know you had some questions. We're going to cover the rentals on the after after we discuss oh. the transition. So the biggest thing I've watched you guys obviously since you started, we we kind of got started at like a similar time. Like I was brand new, you were brand new to real estate investing. So we kind of got started like right like maybe 2016ish kind of like year range. And I noticed that you guys were really like you said huge on rehabs. You guys, I mean, at one point, God knows how many rehabs you had going on all over the Northeast. I mean, from Connecticut to Pennsylvania to New York and New Jersey. So when it comes to rehabbing, a lot of people, they think it's sexy. They want to tell all their friends they're, they're flipping houses, like legitimate flipping house, fixing and flipping houses. Yep. You have learned a lot from that business. So in your opinion, besides the obvious, you know, there's a lot of things out of your control. What about the renovations like really would get you guys in a position where like there was maybe there was a longer sales cycle or like what about the renovations? Was it the permits? Was it the like what was the biggest bottleneck that you saw? Because you mentioned a few of them. What was the biggest thing that really got you and Frank to realize like we, we got to do this a different way? Um, I think the biggest thing is cash flow. What what starts to happen is it becomes a, a beast that you have to feed. So meaning you have three, four, five, six, seven projects that actively need money because you're paying contracts. But then what happens is the sales cycle, like you said, I mean, it's not one particular thing. What happens is something you expected to close got delayed and it got delayed because some uni search didn't come in. It got delayed because the, the commitment came in later, whatever the reason it got delayed. So now all of a sudden I have six, seven, eight rehabs that I actively need to, to pay into. And I had money that I'm supposed to get that I'm yeah. not getting. Yeah. So, and that keeps happening yeah. over and over. So that, that's stressful because, you know, we do have a decent amount of capital and it just uses a lot of capital very, very fast. So it becomes really capital intensive. So that, that I'd say is a big challenge uh, because again, even if you have a ton of capital, it's just, it's really hard to manage it because the, the timelines always change. The second thing I, I think, um, would really just be there's so many uncertainties, meaning that we start a project and, you know, normally we do a good job of figuring out what's going on and, and putting our scope of work together, but things come up and 
those things come up that can cause a delay or a contractor that has an issue. So, it, you know, it's just there's a lot of uncertainty in, in the rehabs. And we had a project manager who did a great job, but we were overwhelming him. And it's there's only so many projects someone can manage. So that's another fixed cost that we had. Um, it's just the oversight. You know, someone says it's going to be delayed. Okay. Now this one is delayed. So all of a sudden, it, it just literally, it's very, very difficult to manage. And quite honestly, it was never my background. I'm a financial guy. It's not I'm a numbers guy. Frank is more on the sales side. So if neither one of us like say, oh, we love construction. You know, I, I joke and tell people that, you know, they're like, well, you're in construction. Like, I can't even hang a picture. So, I mean. Me neither. I had someone come to my house. I had yeah. come over to hang all my shit in my property. Oh, yeah. I mean, likewise. So, yeah. it's kind of funny that that we were renovating a house and still do. Uh, but I would say just the uncertainty. And then now, in today's market. Oh, my know, gosh. I, I think that the rehab costs are not manageable because of supply chain disruption. And you don't know material pricing is out of control. And then the second thing that's happening today with the changing market. And this is, this has been going on a little bit is the buyers are picky. So, you know, you'll come to a home inspection and there's 50 things on there. Whereas in the past we'd say, Nope, Nope, Nope. And now it's like, you don't do these things. We're not no deal. closing. No yeah. Deal. So it, it just became too much. And um, again, we'll cherry pick some rehab. So don't get me wrong. I feel like if we did one or two projects a year, I, I love it because it's fun and you know you can figure it out but and, and there are some good spreads but as a business i think it's a very tough business to scale without unless you like love it and maybe say you're a contractor that decides to get into um the flipping not like a flipper to get its contracting yeah it's a the, the skill sets like you said and you taught me yeah, a, different. you taught me a lesson a couple of years ago you said the thing with wholesaling versus the rehabs is that with a rehab, there's multiple points of failure. With an assignment, there's one point of failure. The deal doesn't work out. Maybe you lose your deposit. Maybe you don't. With a rehab, like you said, I mean, and you and I are in the same market. Yep. Every village has their own building department. The, bureauc the bureaucracy is it's it's unreasonable as an understatement. You have permit problems. I mean, I don't like to get permits. I barely get them. If I do, you know, I have to. You yep. have stop work orders. There's so many things that can cause, and even, and this is if you buy the property right and your numbers are right. Like this is like yes. excluding that. This is like, in addition to the fact that you have so many things that are, are, I wouldn't say against you, but they're just out of your control that can cause your, I mean, I've had so many runs with building departments, me just doing work, having them catch me, put a stop work order on there. I mean, you've had the same. If you want to do volume renovating in the Northeast is not, an ideal strategy. I mean, if you're doing two or three a month, maybe, but if you want to do six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 projects a month, it, it, you have to, you'd have to be vertically integrated. You'd have to have, yeah, I, I agree. Company. I think yeah. if you have a construction company and you love it, or you have a partner an expert, that is like, an yeah. expert at construction and that's the core competency. Yeah. No question. You can scale. Again, I probably a great business, but I still think there's too many points of failure. I, yeah. I totally agree. And then the other thing, just getting back to kind of one of the things I didn't like, or one of the reasons why is, you know, in the Northeast, as Greg alluded to, we have um, harsh winters here. So you got to make sure every single house has the heat because if the heat, you have a problem with the heat, you're, you're bursting a pipe, which has happened to us. So then all of a sudden, <laughs> anytime there's a weather issue, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's going on with these properties? You forget that you have a property here, then you need snow removal, then you need someone to get the snow off the roof. So it's lawn care every, in the summer. Yeah. Correct. It just, <laughs> the, the complexity that, I mean, we, we built out. Uh, in Asana and, and various project management programs, like, you know, all the things to do. And it's hard to tick them off when you have all these properties. And then 
have accountability. So it is no small feat uh, to rehab. But again, I, I don't want to, anyone that's listening, I don't want to say, hey, don't rehab because there's a lot of money to be made and, and there's, and it's good. It's just, I think if you're going to scale and run a large business, I think it's very challenging to do it again, unless it's like core competence or you love it. A hundred percent. And I think there's just, if you, you're not vertically integrated in the, at least in the Northeast with the, I know, a guy, I'll give you, I know a guy in Long Island, his name is Charles and he has a, he's a big rehabber and he has a permit company. He has a construction company and he has a home buying company. So those companies all feed each other. And if you don't have yeah. that, it's just, yeah, it's, you're just, you're going to be dealing with uh, all this uncertainty. So I digress. So let's transition. So you obviously went from big time rehabber. Now you're doing a few projects here and there, but you're, you guys are doing serious wholesale volume. I'm on your list. You guys are, I would say the biggest guys in the, in the market to, 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 you know, be honest, you guys, you guys are the biggest guys. So how did you guys successfully transition from renovators to assigners? Cause really, I mean, you guys are putting out like one or two deals a day. Like I see my emails and I see you guys have stuff in PA, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, like everywhere. How did you guys make that transition? Because at the end of the day, like wholesaling is, is a completely different business, right? Like you're, you're really in the sales business at that it's point. It's a different it's business. Construction. Yeah. So, I mean, look, just to rewind my background, like I said, was in real estate brokerage prior. So it's very similar to brokerage in the sense of you're just selling. And so yeah. is Frank. So that, I think that for us was just, is more of a natural skill set than construction because we ran a brokerage business. So it's very, that was an easy transition. And then, you know, building out the buyers list and, you know, we're, I, I, I don't want to say we're experts on marketing because we're not, but we're pretty good at it. Um, at least that's how we get a lot of our, you know, we, we go direct to seller uh, as do you, Greg. Um, so we're pretty good at that. So it's literally the same thing. You know, you just flip in the process and said you market the buyers. So it was easy, a very easy transition for us. I think, like I said, mostly because it was our business prior to this very similar business. So it wasn't that difficult to do. Because you were, you're, I mean, half the business was already getting done in the marketing. You were still marketing for properties when you were rehabbing. You just flipped the exactly. buyers versus now. Do you like what does your team look like? Like who, because you and you and Frank are, are, you know, you, you don't do this on your own. You have a decently sized team. So what is your, let's just go, what is your wholesale department? Like what does that team look like? And then we'll go into some of the processes that are established now. Yep. So this is more what kind of where Frank sits, but I'm pretty familiar with what goes on. So essentially, we, as we talked about, we do direct uh, to sell marketing. Uh, we do a ton of direct mail. It's still our biggest channel. Same. So that we outsource the direct mail. We have a in-house uh, PPC slash SEO person. So that was a recent hire that we made. So that is done in-house. So he is an employee. We have, um, I mean, those are pretty much our two primary sources. And then just in terms of how we're structured on the acquisition side, we have three acquisition specialists. Uh, we have a virtual lead manager who really does more follow-up. Actually, we have two virtual lead managers that do follow-up. On the Disco side, we have one, we had two, uh, but now we have one. We have one Dispo uh, full-time employee and two Dispo BAs. Okay. And on the... Um, Accounting, obviously, we have one uh, accountant person. We have me and Frank. Uh, I'm more on the operations and the finance and raising money, um, you know, for our various funds and and projects. And um, 
yeah, I mean that that's pretty much the good sized team. That's a good sized team. So you got you basically got a full time person who does the internet marketing, who's a direct employee, not a vendor. And then you have so you said you had three you have three acquisitions representatives. So are they they're buying all these houses? I'm imagining over the phone because you guys are doing volume, right? You guys stopped doing appointments a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, okay. we are 100 percent virtual. So it's a really cool model that we have. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting when you start doing it, right? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of, um, you know, I had a limiting belief, as did Frank, that you can't virtually wholesale. Um, and people would tell us, hey, virtual wholesale. I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, no I told you that. And you thought I was crazy. I'm like, no. Yeah, and others did easy. too. And, and that's kind of our whole business. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're actually, I think I told you this, we're actually going to be doing um, some education around that too, yeah. about virtual wholesaling, which yeah. is uh, it's kind of cool. So, yeah, but that's... Uh, we virtually wholesale. I mean, the only downside to virtually wholesaling is again, like you said, we don't physically see the property. So sometimes we rely on the sellers. And um, obviously when people come in to look at them and sometimes the buyers will say, Hey, this is the roof is shot. Seller didn't represent that. So, you know, you have those types of issues, but we kind of figured that out. I mean, the thing with, I, I tell people all the time, listen, you know, if you can go in person versus over the phone, I think anyone would say like, okay, there's probably a better chance to build rapport and do that. But my argument to that claim is like, listen, if you got to get in the car, go for 30 minutes, drive there, sit there for 30 minutes, drive back. Now you burned out an hour and a half to make one offer. I can be on the phone. My team can be on the phone negotiating these things. And if you get your offer rejected in 15 minutes, you can make another phone call 15 minutes later and pick up another house. I've just found the scalability. And especially when you're dealing with acquisitions people, it's easier for them to do it over the phone, especially too, because like if you have an acquisitions rep and they drive out to the property, now they're emotionally committed because they drove 30 minutes, yeah. gas money. You see what I'm saying? So it just, I'd rather get more offers out over the phone, in my opinion, than maybe get fewer offers out and do it in person just because like you said, it's, it's tough to scale. Like if you're physically depending on- No question. I do agree with you though. I think if you have the option to physically meet someone, it's probably better. And chances are you would get the deal. Um, at yeah. least if you're a reasonably decent salesperson with a good offer, yeah. you'd probably get the deal over a virtual wholesaler. Uh, yeah. I would agree with that. We will, we'll make it, I'll give you an example because we, you know, we buy in Delaware now too because my acquisitions rep lives here. And normally we buy everything over the phone, but I'll give you a quick story. Last week, we had a hot internet lead that came in and he was asking me for some advice. And I said, listen, I normally would say, don't go on the appointment, but you should go on the appointment. So he goes on the appointment, doesn't get the deal the first time. Seller wanted more money. They were shopping it around. I said, listen, we reviewed his call together. And I said, here's the deal, bro. If you go, you got to find an excuse to get back inside their house. You're like two inches away from the touchdown zone here. I said, do you just pretend just tell them that you, you forgot to check the attic. Cause he lived down the street from the house. And I'm like, just go back out there. I'm telling you do this, do that. And you're going to get this property. I promise goes out there, gets in the attic. He's like, calls me up in the attic. He's like, Hey, I'm in the attic. And I'm like, all right. Now on your way out the door, just say, hey, by the way, I know we weren't too far off on price. Why don't we just talk about that? He ends up getting the deal in person and you know we assigned it already. But oh, in nice. that scenario, I would say if we were not in person there, we probably wouldn't have gotten that yeah. problem, to be honest with you, Larry. No, that makes sense. That you know? makes a lot of sense. How was Delaware, by the way, as a market? You know, I, I did a fix and flip and broke even. I wasn't happy about that. We did a little baby Better assignment. Losing. Yeah, yeah. But now, last week, we put together 50 grand in assignments just last week alone. So we're going to keep putting our foot on the gas down there because there's no um, there's no bullshit attorney stuff. I mean, you have a closing attorney, but they're not like in New York. They don't represent anybody. They're just in the middle. 
So our sales cycle down there, I've noticed is, is much faster. Like you can close a deal in two weeks there without any. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's, that's great. Maybe, maybe we'll join you. Yeah, sure, man. There's tons of room there. <laughs> I know. I'll tell you, the competition there is not, it, it, you know, there's a lot of people there, but I, I've realized this in general. People are always like, oh, there's so many buyers trying to do this. Listen, if you're a half decent salesperson and you can have a conversation with somebody, it, you don't have to worry about other people. It's, it's not like it's that big of an issue. I mean, if you're good on the phone and you can build rapport, you know, I, I say there, there's room for everybody, right? Like there's, yeah, there's well, everywhere. One of the things your listeners should know is that we um we do deals together. So you know oh, we yeah. are in the yeah, same yeah. market. We just did one two we, months ago. Yeah. yeah, we compete with each other friendly always. And uh, but we do stuff together. So I mean it, it's really that's a great thing about I mean if you're a good, honest person and, and people in your market are as well, you can really have a lot of fun together. So we and have it, a couple other people we do the same thing with. Yeah. So a lot of people find that to be odd or weird, but it's you know it's not at all. I mean it, the way I look at it is like this. If, if, if let's say you and me have the same lead, okay? And we both know that because the seller says they're talking to other buyers. I would rather go in with a partner or a JV partner 50-50 and guarantee we get the deal yep. than try to sabotage each other, bid the property up. And now one guy makes you know a little skinny margin and the other guy doesn't get the house. You're, you're better off just teaming up and collaborating versus like- uh, Agreed. You know, abundance mentality, right? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. So you guys have obviously scaled up the business on the, um, on the wholesale side before we transition into rentals. Now you and Frank, I mean, don't really have, from my knowledge, I mean, you guys seem to have a pretty solid team established. So like what functions in the wholesaling business do you actively do, if any, at this point? So, you know, I'm not involved in the day-to-day transactions at all so there's really no involvement you know we do run on eos so i'm of course i'm in a level 10 meeting once a week i am i guess the sit at the head of the accounting so any any of the accounting ultimately uh is something that i oversee we are uh i'll get into it we are in the process of raising a rental fund so that's been taking up a lot of my time lately um so i would say also there's always if there's some kind of a problem which inevitably there usually is at some point that I, that somehow comes to me. Um, what else do I do? I think, um, like I said, raising money, we have multiple funds that we currently operate. So more so talking to the investors there, you know, keeping people okay, raising money, which is something that I do as well. Um, and then, you know, we do powwow on the business, you know, so we're, we've been um, trying to cut some expenses recently. So that's been, keeping me busy as well. Just, and I don't know what's going to go on with the market, but we want to be ready for it. So we're, we're just making sure we're leading up. Yeah, for up. sure. Have you guys found it a little harder to assign stuff recently? Or are you guys still finding a way to get all your inventory moved? No, out? we are. We are having, um, the margins are starting to slim. Yeah, I'm seeing my and, margins go down a lot, man. So, yeah. and the other thing, and I don't know if you're seeing this, you know, we're in some areas in like Pennsylvania, for example, that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get some deals on the contract and there's no buyers in those areas. So oh, it's that's happened to me many times, dude. Yeah. Oh. So that, that's been happening a little bit more often than we've had in the past. So that's frustrating. It's a lot of work for nothing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's just, I think we're going to be okay here in the Northeast. I, I just think it's going to continue to slow. 
it's just going to go back to what it was in like 17 and 18, where you had yes. like days on market and the property wasn't overvalued. It's just going to go back to like the old days or the, Correct. you know, that's the truth. I, I agree. We're not overbuilt here. There's still a housing shortage. People still want, if you're going to renovate, renovated homes. So I think the home flippers will do well just to have to buy it uh, a little bit cheaper. And we have to we gotta buy it cheaper. cheaper. I, yeah. I mean, I was, I was telling someone uh, yesterday, I said, listen, I, I was getting spoiled. I was like raising money, whether it was a private investor or hard money lender. And I wasn't even making interest payments because I would sell the property before the first payment was due, right? Oh, that's awesome. I think those days are- I love over. that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, we've had some of those. Not yeah. as many as I'd like, but we've definitely had. <laughs> you just get, you're like, oh, by the way, uh, I don't need to send you a payment this month. You're getting paid off tomorrow. But anyway, I digress. So let's transition more into the rental property. So obviously you've been buying and selling a lot of properties. You have a lot of experience. Now, when, when you're looking for rentals, right? Because this, I know that you really like this uh, this part of the business. What do you look for in a house to decide, at least in our market in the Northeast, what is worth keeping as a rental versus what is just not going to cut it for you? That, that's a great question. Um, yeah. The other thing, just to think about what I do, I, I kind of got to think about what I do every day, but rentals is a big thing. I, I am analyzing a good amount of rental deals. Um, so yeah, just a couple things. N number one, it needs to be in an area that is desirable. What do I, I mean by that? Um, Maybe the school system is, is relatively good. It's close to centers of employment. Um, you know, we're not big into rural markets on rentals. I'm not that you can't be. It's just not something we've had a lot of success with. So I really Same. like to kind of stay in an area that that has um, a desirability factor. And, and again, it could be close to um, school, whatever, just some area that's not a we're, economic we're not really driver. An economic yeah. driver. Yeah. No, we're not really big into like uh, high crime areas. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've had quite a few in those areas, which um, it's just very management intensive. And although the returns on paper look phenomenal, it's. It doesn't make sense at the end of the day. Yeah, for us. I mean, again, it, uh, that's our market. But <laughs> I, I also, we like a more typical house. So that's like, you know, a, a, we'll do a two bed rental, but like two to four beds, one to two baths, not, nothing real. You know, we have a couple big ones. And, and, <laughs> Greg, you know my favorite term, which is my accidental rentals. So we have we have a couple of those with flips gone south. Um, but yeah, I would say you know three, four bed, two bath, uh, in in relatively decent areas, and um, you know we kind of look for the taxes to be reasonable. You know we want to be about fifty two percent in terms of all the expenses all in from from an NOI, um, yeah. you know expense ratio rather. So that's kind of um, high because the taxes are high in the northeast yeah. but um but the rents are a little high too i i've noticed in Delaware that you got like thousand dollar a year property taxes but like there's a townhouse i did that i fixed and flipped that thing only would have rented for 1650 my, my my mortgage payment with uh because of the purchase price it, it wouldn't have made any sense because of the rent was low right yep. so it's the kind of inverse in the northeast it, it is it is yep. get high, rent. high rents we have yeah. higher the other thing that I do is, um, you know, we, we have a rental screener, obviously. So we, we run it through the rental screener. Like a software? No, it's our own uh, rental screener. I'm mean, happy to send it to any of your listeners if they want to see it or to you, Greg, if you want it. Uh, but basically all we do is we'll run it. Um, we'll put in what we think the hypothetical rent is. Oh, we'll like the taxes. Well, we'll analyze it. And then what we'll do is we'll then look and say, okay, if we get 70%, we get 75% on the takeout. Like how much money do we have to keep in? Uh, you know, if you buy it deep enough, and we've had these conversations, a lot of times you can get most of your money out. So th those are where we, those are tough situations for us because we could wholesale it and say make 20 grand. Um, 
or keep it, maybe get our money back and make 200 bucks a month. So the question becomes, what do you do? I mean, you, you're just, you're talking about the burst strategy. Yeah. It's, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, uh, I, you know, it's, it, it's a good, I'm glad you brought that up because this happens to me a lot too. It's like, yeah, I take the Not money. a bad problem to have. Not yeah. Do, do I take the money? Uh, so I'll give you a quick example on this. Yep. Actually, I, this, this is actually a deal that you bought for me. So there was a, I think it was like 34 patio road or something like that. You guys fix and flip the property in Middletown. Like I don't remember that one. Yeah. I told well that, that to you guys. I made a lot of money. You guys made a lot of money. So I, I think I got it for 50 and sold to you guys for like 75 or 80 or something. And you guys sold it for sold like, up. yeah, yeah. So I got that deal done. And then I got a lead. This was down the street, like maybe a mile away. Yep. Same kind of house, like one of those like Middletown properties. If you're mm -hmm. not listening, Middletown is a city in Orange County where it's generally decent for rentals, depending on yep. what you Yeah, we, we like Middletown. Yeah. So it was the same property, much better shape with a tenant inside. I got mine for 50 that I sold to you. So this lady said that she, you know, wanted to sell it as is. So I offered her 65 for this property. And I was just thinking, well, that's a great offer if she takes it. So I bought this thing for 65 and I refied it at a hundred. So I put like, you know, I put like legit cash in my pocket after I purchased it. So I got like literally got paid to buy that property, refied it for a hundred. Now I still own it. I got 2.9% interest, 15 year, fully amortized. I make 600 bucks a month and I have, yeah, like literally no money in that deal. And it's worth yeah, that's it. phenomenal. It's a buck that's 75. Phenomenal. It's worth a buck 75 right now. I owe like 93 cause I've been paying the mortgage. So it's like with a property like that, like I probably could have wholesaled that thing for like 110, but, but that's the question, right? I guess yeah. it depends upon your cash position, depends upon yeah. what your strategy is. You know, the, the only negative thing we have in our business is we do have a large overhead and you know, sometimes some of those decisions are forced upon us. So yeah. stuff we would have rather kept, we kind of have to sell it because we need the um, the money to kind of keep the, to keep the, the going. machine running. Um, yeah. But we we have been transitioning more and more to, to buy and hold. Um, yeah. This is a good compliment. But that's a great deal. I mean, that's an awesome deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those price. deals, I like, there's another one I got. I just put, bought it in cash and it's like, you know, it's worth 70. I bought it for 46. I actually was doing that deal when we were at that Florida golf. Trip. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's where I got this hat, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, that's, why, that's why I wore it. Yeah, I've I never seen that property. Yeah. <laughs> but so what are you guys what are you guys kind of doing now in the future with the rentals? Because obviously we just talked about why you buy rentals and how you buy them, but like what are you guys looking to build out in the future for your rental? Because I know you're really involved in money raising and really building the rental company up. So the one thing that we're doing right now as a company is we are uh in the process of raising for a rental fund because we right. think the market is real. I mean, it's not really what we think. If you see like some of the biggest uh, asset management companies, you know, Blackstone, all the other ones, they're raising billions of dollars to buy single family rentals. So we're, we're doing something uh, similar, obviously not, not at that level, but um, that's, so that's kind of keeping me busy now. So we're going to put that together uh, now. And because we think it's a good, really good time. Uh, so that's something that we'll do. And then we'll continue to build the portfolio uh, with the ultimate goal is if we can do less wholesaling and keep more of it, then that's what we're going to do. And now we can't, similar to the way we went from fix and flip to um, wholesaling, I'd like to go from wholesaling to buy and hold. It's just, there's no way that that could happen overnight because it's- No, completely know, different it's business. Completely different business. So that that's something that ultimately we're going to start to switch into, but it's going to be a long transition. 
have you considered just wholesaling yourself the property for like a five to ten thousand dollar like assignment to pay the overhead and then you own the asset? Has that been something you'd consider? Yeah, we have. The only the only caveat we've got there is you know, our average wholesale fee is is pretty is probably you know in the twenties. So we'd have to then pay that and by the time you we can refi it but usually these deals they're good deals but you know we're going to have 20 grand in a deal 30 grand in a deal that adds which up which is totally fine but after a while it starts to add up and while we still have to pay our marketing we still have so that's kind of where the rub is you know it, it's it, if we could do it like that deal you just talked about and that was a regular situation we, we would have done already because it would have yeah i mean if no i could find one of those deals a week i'd be out of the back of my yacht doing this podcast right now i mean think oh of, yeah well yeah, I, was, I think uh, i think that's coming it's just a matter of years for you but <laughs> but I, I do think that you know if i were starting out uh it would be something especially in this market i'd strongly consider figuring out how could i build this into a more of a buy and hold company interesting uh, if that's an option you know if you want the quicker cash and you know depending upon your cash flow needs then probably not an option yeah. No, that's, you know, it's interesting you're saying that because a lot of people, they get into this business and they have this theory where they want to quit their job. Okay. And then they want to, you know, fire their boss, even though you're going to start working for another boss who happens to be a psycho, which is yourself. Totally. Yep. Right. And then they, yeah. And then they, they get into this like flipping wholesaling hamster wheel. That's because that's truthfully what they call it a golden hamster wheel with diamonds on it. So and true. then they get stuck and I'm there. I, I think a lot of us are there. And we have rentals, but we don't have enough rent. I don't have enough rentals right now to retire, to be completely straightforward. But Same. the whole thing is like, they, they, the goal was to get to the rentals, but like this wholesaling flipping thing started making a lot of money, like netting a lot of money. And then it's like, you kind of get stuck into this thing. So like you said, if people can start with the end in mind and just try to make that transition through the wholesaling and flipping gap as fast as possible, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to get to your end destination. I have friends who are like, I, and I will say this in our market in the Northeast, I will say it's a little harder than most, not saying it's impossible, but we're dealing with high purchase prices and high taxes. If we were in Alabama, not saying the sunshine would be shining and be rainbows everywhere, yep. but you can pick up properties in those areas cheaper. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit easier to do business down there. I'll just be honest with it. It's just easier. Um, so our market, you know, there is that little factor there, but, um, we just talked about virtually wholesaling. So you can do it virtually and then you got no excuse. Um, so yeah, you're right. Advice, be good. But no, I think that ultimately, I, I think that that would be a route to go. Um, yeah. but again, it, it just depends on, on the individual because right now as, as a wholesale, as you said, you know, we are, you could be wholesaling anything, right? I mean, it's, we happen to be wholesaling real estate, but if you, but you might as well take advantage of it. And then the other thing, not is also the tax benefits. I mean, you know, oh people, my gosh, man! As real estate investors, uh, especially wholesaling, you know, we're taxed as ordinary income. And you know, what we've done for many years because we're real estate investors is, you know, we that was another strategy for the rentals. We bought them to minimize taxes, and um, that's been a really good strategy. So you know, you get that depreciation, and uh, you can get it against your active. I'm not giving anyone tax advice, Greg. So I don't want to have. Fun. I, we know it's uh, this is just friendly conversations. Well, I'll tell you what, I did three cost segs last year from a DIY cost seg.com mm -hmm. that saved me alone. Like, I mean, I still had a pretty decent tax bill, but like those cost segs alone, like, I think I got like a four to one return on whatever I spent with the, Oh, easily. It was insane. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like you'd be stupid to not do this. It was like the only negative. I will tell you because I, what is the negative? 
I just had it this year. Well, there's no negative. So let me, let me, let me say that. There's no <laughs> negative to buying rentals and doing a cost tag. The cautionary tale. So uh, last year, we're in 22. So yeah, in 21, uh, we had we did some opportunistic rental sales because the market was just bananas. And we decided to sell some rentals to just kind of get a little bit more cash. So we did that. And these are rentals that we had cost and took all the depreciation. So when you sell them, what happens is you have to essentially uh, add back all that depreciation that you took and put on your tax return. So essentially all that, it's a hamster wheel that you have to keep buying. So we had this like massive hit because of the depreciation recapture on the stuff that we sold. So there was a long-term capital gain and then the depreciation recapture, which screwed up our taxes. Oh, um, I so, get it. You had to recapture all the deductions you made. Correct. So bear in mind, unless you're buying every year and you're buying more than you're selling, you can get hit with a big tax bill. Yeah. No, that makes sense. We, we, I, so I sold a, so here's a scenario for you. This is not tax advice, by the way, listeners, but so I, I <laughs> we've spoken about this before. I sold that uh, mixed use building oh, at, yeah, yeah. at a loss, but I cost segged it. All right. down. Right. But I cost segged it. So am I going to have to recapture that or am I? Yes. Even, but I lost money though. So what am I recapturing? You know? So what happens is you sold it at a loss, but yeah. I don't, obviously I didn't see your return. I didn't do your return, but you would essentially have to recapture whatever you took on the cost seg, that depreciation is recaptured. Depreciation has nothing to do with the loss, right? That's just like your phantom kind of I see. Uh, use of the property over time. Now that because you had a loss, it may not be as bad. Yes. Yeah. It might wash. But yes, if you took, if say the cost seg was 50, 70 grand, that would have to be all better back. Yeah. But if you lost, you know, 50 grand, then it could net itself out. It you probably wouldn't wash itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Here's now, the unfortunately or fortunately we didn't lose. We made it quite a lot and and had to recapture depreciation. So that was that was where it got a little hairy. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna start to wrap the show up here. Before we wrap the show up, I, I like to talk about real deals that people are doing. Uh, and you're you know we're gonna air this on both podcasts. I want you to uh, sounds like an air horn going on back there. Oh yeah, I'm gonna say I can close these windows. Is no, it, no, you're good. You're good. You're I'm good. Sure. So I want to talk about a real successful deal that you guys did, whether that was a rental or a flip or a wholesale. And then I want to talk about after that, a deal that you did that, uh, as some people would say, was a seminar. So people can kind of see the context on the good and the bad in this business. Yeah. Well, if we listen to our the po po first podcast, I talked about a lot of my seminars. <laughs> I hope to have less of that. Sure so you want to talk about, Greg, a deal that's in, in the works or a completed deal? that's Whatever you want to talk, a good deal that's either in the hopper right now or you did it, whether it was a rental, a flip. We have... We have a phenomenal deal in the hopper um, and I can't take any credit for it. So I don't know if I should talk about it, but my, my team. Uh, Let's hear it. The credit. So it, this is a deal in Pennsylvania, um, okay. which you get sometimes the best deals, the deals you don't know that you did. Um, yeah. Right. And actually uh, I'm digressing, but I'll start with this. And I can tell another one. So we did a deal or we have a deal going on. We just closed on it in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, we thought it was a good deal. Um, my acquisition single family, multifamily. What are we talking about? Single family on the lake. Okay. So Poconos? my act was uh, in the Poconos, yes. My act was, I believe, I believe it's in, in okay. the Poconos because we just talked about this. My acquisitions uh, specialist miscomped it the right way for us, obviously. But he, I think, valued it against something that wasn't uh, like lakefront because he didn't really realize that at first. And the offer, it was probably 40% of the value. So oh. I think I think something like we bought this because we just closed the like yesterday. I think we bought this thing for like one 
30 or something. And the broker is telling us like, as is, do nothing to it. It's like worth 299. Are you so, gonna, are you flipping it or what are you doing? Yeah, so we're cleaning it out and, and listing it. That's it. Now, left your <laughs> listeners know this is this does not happen. You know, maybe once every year or two we get a deal like this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is going on as we speak. Uh, it has not closed, so uh, I, I don't know the the outcome, but the outcome is going to be a really good one on this one. So this is this is a deal. And again, you know, we talked a lot about wholesaling. We're not wholesaling this. Yeah, because we looked at the spread. We're going to make wholesaling versus taking it down. We said makes you know, no sense. Makes yeah. no sense. So we do vary up our strategy based on what's going on. So uh, we, we don't only wholesale. We do take down property here and there. Wow. So that's a good one. Uh, the, the story that kind of I was chuckling to myself is Frank and I, we bought something in Newburgh, actually. And it was a two-family. And this was years ago, man, four years ago or something. And uh, we both comped it wrong because we didn't really know their market that well. And this City is- City of Newburgh uh, or town of Newburgh? This was, I think it's town. It was, the address is 205 West Parmenter. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the Frank and I called the broker. Uh, this is Edwin, actually, that, that we called. That's how we met Edwin. And yeah, I think we thought it was worth like, I don't know, Frank and I thought it was worth like nine grand or something at the time. And he was like, no, we can put this on the market for like 185 or something. And <laughs> I don't remember the numbers. We were like, no, no way. And, and obviously this broker lives in the area, knows here. Like, yeah, yeah. He, like knew the street. He knew the people that lived. He grew like, up in Newburgh. Yeah, so that was a very, very, we did sell that one too. That was a very pleasant, we probably should have kept that because it'd be worth a lot more now. But anyway, those those are some good deals. Um, That's a two, it's a two family. I'm looking at it right now on the web. It's a two family. Yep. Yeah, so that was that was a bunch of years ago we owned that. And we did quite well because we bought it for like next to nothing. And uh, Unbelievable, man. Misvalued it. You know, we, we also you know misvalued the other way. Not as much. Uh, so, but, well, let me hear about a recent a recent doozy. You know, since our last podcast, I so got a bunch of them. So I have a recent doozy. Um, this this was a condo that we flipped in. Um, I believe it was Dobbs Ferry. So Dobbs Ferry is a pretty good area in Westchester. So we were really excited that we got a deal. And um, you know the numbers. What'd you pay for this stuff? Yeah, you know. I, I, it, I don't want to give you exact numbers. That could be a little fuzzy, but I can give you a roundabout because yeah. I think I remember the numbers. I think we it was a higher price property. So we bought this thing at like 350, 375, something like that. Uh, we thought the renovation would be about 45K and it's a condo. So like how difficult could the renovation be? You know, there's no roof. There's no... Um, An internal. Boiler. So of course, what, what happened is we had to legalize a third bedroom, but it was had a window, had a door. The buildings apart was impossible. So we needed a, very, a special window. And this was like during uh, while COVID. So the window was like a five month delay. The holding cost in this property, because it's a high price, but taxes like 18,000 a year. So the holding costs in this thing were probably like 5,000 a month. Oh my the, God. We could not get it certified as a three bed because of this went until the windows installed and the people wouldn't close. So essentially we were at a stalemate for so many months. I think it was three or four months just sitting and nobody would move. Building department wouldn't do anything, but waiting on the window, trying to get it from someone else. Couldn't get, and again, this is a condo. Couldn't get the window. So of course, I think it was a skinny deal to begin with. I think, you know, we bought it, like I said, in the threes, I think with the rehab, it was like 50 or something. And we were sketched out to make like 40 grand, 40, but we figured it's in and out. Easy. It's a condo. What can, what can go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is what went wrong. So <laughs> what fast forward six, seven months later, uh, you know, and after six months, at least here, that means the rehab went terribly wrong. Oh, and, and, yeah. and that's when, because we only model in like a five month hold usually. And 
that's when things start. And this is very expensive to hold. So ultimately we lost money on this because what happened was uh, once we did get it approved, that buyer didn't want to wait and they backed out and we couldn't hold them to the contract because technically we couldn't produce a three bedroom home for them. Yeah. And we had to remarket it. So I think ultimately we sold this thing. I, I want to say it was like a 12 month or 13 month hold. We had to pay an extension fee with the lender. So it was, it literally went completely south. And I think we lost like 25 or $30,000 ultimately on the, on this deal. But you got your taxes lowered. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. There's, you got your taxes lowered. That's how you can reframe that. So I guess what the moral of the story here is we, we miscalculated and we, you know, I did, didn't anticipate that, that this problem would occur and we probably should have, um, you know, not done a, such a skinny deal at a higher price point. Well, the, listen, but I, I would probably do that same deal if I were you, like, you know, before obviously it happened because I love condos for the, 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 the sense that normally, unlike your scenario, I mean, you're buying a two bed condo. It's a two bed condo. I mean, that's, it's plain Jane. Like there's no, like, you're not going to put an illegal addition on your condo because it's a fucking apartment. Well, so, that's why I thought we, we have that's a, why I buy there was a window there. I mean, yeah. So I normally buy condos, dude, sight unseen. I don't even need to see them. Like I have two properties that I own. I've never stepped foot inside these things. Cause I'm like, I, I know if they're rentals, number one, yeah, but generally like, you're right. Generally, yeah. And then we didn't think that it was much risk either. Um, yeah. But, Pesky you know. condos will get you. That's yeah. uh hey, quick question. Did you end up closing out that Glenwood landing property that Richie sold you in Long Island? Yeah, yeah. Wait, that, that was was that, that was a pretty good deal. Or, that was, was a good deal. That was, was that that's was in Nassau. That Nassau. Nassau. Yeah. It's in the North Shore. Glenwood yeah, I, right by uh like uh Yeah, we sold that. Like, we've we've got another one in Long Island that we're working now that we're um in contract uh to sell it. Which is a pretty it was actually a very large one. Yeah, we did that. Suffolk? That was the deal. I think we got. It's um. Or Nassau. It's in Nassau. Okay. No, that's the Glenwood Landing deal, Greg. That's a Glenwood Landing deal. Oh, you're in contract to sell that. Yeah, you're you're talking. You know what? I got confused because the uh, the address isn't Glenwood Landing. The the, the town is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. yeah, we have that one. Um, is in contract to sell. That was a very large renovation, but the, yes. the spread looks really good, assuming that uh. <laughs> You know, it's not close. Come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Larry, this was a good show, man. So if people want to connect with you and learn about maybe investing in your fund or just connecting with you, like what's the best way for people to reach out to you, man, if they're interested? So I would say just to shoot me an email, um, you know, it's Larry, uh, L-A-R-R-Y at SDF, Sam David Frank Capital, LLC.com. So Larry at SDF Capital, LLC.com and love to talk to people and kind of, you know, see what's going on and how I can help. Cool. So Larry at sdfcapitalllc.com. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Larry, this was a good interview, man. It's uh, it's always good to catch up with you on the record and have all the people hear the good and the bad about this business, man. It's a pleasure doing this. All right, Greg. Always awesome talking to you and uh, looking forward to uh, hitting the links again soon. Yes, I'll be back in New York uh, in two days. So Sweet. I'll be around. Well, let's get together. Absolutely, man. All right. Awesome. Thanks Have again. See ya.